0: it could be a little challenging environment and the ones that have good practices, good tactics, Mm -hmm. good lead generation, good follow through, they're going to be fine. But the guys that just rely on people walking in the doors or they think that an Mm -hmm. organic post magically brought people in, I think those are the guys that got to make sure their game gets sharp because I think we're going to come into some challenging times here soon.
1: Thank you so much for coming on today, Chuck. Really looking forward to this conversation. For people who don't know who you are or haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days. Okay, cool.
0: Awesome. Th- force thanks for having me on. My name is Chuck Landy. Born and raised here in the Dallas, Texas area, if you can't tell by my lovely Texas accent. I've been around bowling for, I guess, a long time. Actually, over 40 years now. I can't believe it, but it's been that long. And currently, I'm basically involved in consulting in a wide variety of industries. Bowling is my passion. So I'm kind of back into it here recently. Be glad to share with you a long journey. I know we've only got a few minutes, but basically, I actually started bowling in the Dallas area in the late 70s. Man, that's a long time ago, dude. It didn't seem like that long, right? And so I got started because my parents actually leased out the. uh, the snack bar in a local bone center and it was 50 style place sold hamburgers and mm-hmm. milkshakes and stuff like that so cool. that was kind of my after school hangout i was a baseball player before that and kind of the bone alley where you know with popping quarters in the video games like space invaders and asteroids and stuff right. like that. It kind of became my new home it started in youth leagues i was terrible it was kind of just <laughs> something to do and baseball wasn't in season and mm. like so many kids i kind of liked it stuck with right. it and had a chance as I got older to actually bowl professional, which I could probably, you know, wow. talk a little bit about that. Yeah. But uh, the thing I remember the most was as a teenager was actually getting to work at other centers. The place my parents were renting closed down when I was a teenager. So kind of had to change bowling centers and you know, Dallas had a lot at that time, right? So I worked counter, porter, all the different stuff. Looking back, I was really blessed to work for some amazing proprietors. I don't think I appreciated it when I was hmm. 16, 17 years old, sure. right. Neil Huffauer, who was the founder of Main Event, who's just yeah. a pioneer in the industry, things. was kind of a mentor to me. I worked for him for a little while when I was a teenager. A uh, gentleman here in Dallas named Phil Kinzer had a small 20-lane bone center, but he was the inventor I understand of bumper bowling because mm. he used to put carpet rolls in the gutters. It's way before <laughs> technology and cubic and yeah. had automated stuff. So wow. I'm looking back to be around those guys, really, I think looking forward kind of influenced me as, as I grew up. Right. Yeah, man. Yeah, after 100%. my youth bowling days, I basically got away from it after my bowling career was over and I started a kind of a home based tech company. And literally I was on the road bowling tournaments and trying to make ends meet and things. And I'd stop by the local Best Buy and the computer stores back before Amazon and, mm-hmm. and all this e-commerce stuff. right? And I would pick up computers out of the clearance section, tinker with them, fix them up and resell them.
1: And so cool.
0: a lot of the proprietors were my first customers and mm-hmm. like to kind of tinker with stuff like that. I got away from bowling and that company Blew up big, and oh, wow. we were like, like at the mm-hmm. right place, the right time. Pre, e-commerce was just getting started, mm-hmm. and I discovered a little-known website called eBay. Okay, yeah. it wasn't publicly traded, mm-hmm. and it was just a in an e-commerce site selling used goods. And right. literally, we were one of the first like high-volume sellers of electronics on that website. Oh, wow. And it ended up going from out of my house to like a big refurbishment facility in my hometown. And long, long story short was uh, I kind of miss bowling. And so yeah. by then I started tinkering with e-commerce and websites again out of my house. Right. And kind of a little side hustle deal. Right. And I was approached by somebody who was a proprietor and said, man, I think bowling centers should use websites. And again, this was like 1998 or 1999, right. like right in there. And so I got hooked up with the BPA. I became a smart buy partner to promote the need of websites. We were the preferred developer at that time, right? And yeah. part of that cool deal was I got to go to Expo, Bull Expo as a speaker. And I remember mm. my tech company at the time dot-com bust was becoming a real thing. Things that were high flying up were starting to crash down. People were freaking out about like Y2K and who would your computers all crash and stuff like that. So anyway, so at Expo when I was speaking at that time, talking about websites, it was like all the proprietors in the room seemed to be like deer in headlights. So afterwards I kind of hung around the room as you kind of know how those things go and answer some questions. And so I was thinking, how are you guys making money in this environment, this economy, without having a website. And they're right. like, man, my, my business is great. I don't even have a fax machine, right? So it's like I was like, <laughs> right. are you kidding me, man? Yeah. And so, you know why well, people today look,
1: still don't have websites. I'm
0: telling you, man. So I went there <laughs> hoping to really revolutionize our industry, which is kind of like a late adopter to a lot of technology stuff, right? And I instead left there with the idea of man, if these guys are making money hand over fist without technology, if I could just leverage my passion for bowling, the stuff I saw when I was bowling professional across the U.S., some of the knowledge I had from working with some of those that cutting-edge proprietors, I thought, man, I could probably make me one hell of a bowling center yeah. and set my mind to it, right? So I kind of talked to my wife about it a little bit. Long story short was my company got acquired, my PC company, in I think early 2002, and I had two young kids. I was really contemplating retiring. Matter of fact, I told my wife, hey, I think we're good here. Let's just spend time with the kids and hang out at the pool and stuff like that. And dude, it lasted about three months. And I bought four acres of land in my hometown, (laughs) went back to the next bowl expo, and mm-hmm. hired an architect, looked at all the black light bowling stuff, hired got all the bells and whistles, and then started the journey of building my own center. So that was uh, okay, yeah.
1: 2003,
0: and uh, did have it for about a decade. Sold out. It's still in business today. When we when we opened it, it was actually a Bowlers Journal Best New Bowling Center of the Year honoree, oh, wow. and mm-hmm. we had three uh, BPA Golden Pin Best Practice Award national awards for like operations. So it was really a fun journey. Oh,
1: wow. yeah. uh,
0: I missed it when I got out of it. And that kind of brought me to about, I spent about three years here pretty recently working at USBC. Again, another friend in the industry said, I know you had a big youth program. I know you built it from the ground up. It looks like there's a position available at headquarters in Arlington, Mm -hmm. and they want people who can help proprietors across the U.S. either grow or launch their youth programs. And so to Mm -hmm. me, man, loving marketing. Loving bowling, right. loving consulting. It seemed like a natural fit. What a great three years it was. I got to travel probably more than my wife would have cared me to, but spending a week at a time with proprietors like all across the U.S. was really yeah. an ama- amazing thing. So yeah. That kind of is my background. That's really as fast as I can get through about about 20 years of experience right there. But Yeah, there you, you've been through you it all.
1: Almost like the uh, Forrest Gump of bowling. Just the right place, right yeah, time. Yeah, I've been around
0: some. Yeah, that's
1: somewhat yeah. True, I come guess, across man. a lot of big characters, and yeah, that's really cool. You've exactly. kind of seen it all. Exactly, man. So you did the USBC for three years doing the youth program, and then recently, I guess you started something slightly different, right?
0: Yeah, and you know, and so I really consulting. And helping people has kind of been my MO, honestly, my whole life as a volunteer. I still Mm -hmm. stay active in things like junior achievement. I work with the prison ministry where you teach felons how to start their own business upon release so they can actually have a small business and rely on themselves rather than trying to do stuff in the workforce. And so I kind of got back into that where I was basically coaching, consulting, a wide variety of businesses on customer acquisition. Typically small businesses, as you know, they're known to being very hardworking, yeah. often too hard ride. And so the business controls them versus the, them running the business right. and everybody yeah. needs new customers or more customers. And so I, I just get a joy in helping people do that. And it's great to kind of be able to do it now again, back in the Bowling
1: Industries. Yeah. Just from center to center again.
0: Yeah. And again, mm-hmm. a big scale because I kind of, at my age, I kind of want to kind of keep it more like a boutique type firm and work with the right yeah. kind of clients that, you know, that have goals that line up with what I can help them with and not trying to take over the world at this point, just trying to yeah. leave my impact in the industry that I love so much.
1: So. Yeah, that's nice, right? Where you can kind of be choosy and it's, yeah. it's about making an impact rather than making a dollar.
0: Exactly, exactly, man. Exactly mm-hmm. right. You no, know, and I did want to say too real quick. So you had a guest on who's a dear friend of mine. So Beth Stanley, right? She yeah. is like amazing. Legend. Well, yeah. So a lot of people don't know, although I think she may have shared it on your show. She really was like a very key person with Neil Hour in the early days of Main Event, even before yeah. Main Event, right? I knew her from my bowling days and I knew she was starting to get in consulting. And so when mm-hmm. we opened, I think in 2003 or four. We were probably one of her very first customers. I, I still got her turn entertainment books in a binder still in my, in my yeah. garage to this day, mm-hmm. right? And so, literally, she helped us set up our birthday party systems, our sales stuff. Very and thorough. I mean, I heard, I mean, just a ton of stuff that she provides so much value with what she offers that, I mean, yeah. The center that I sold still uses it today. I mean, so I wanted to say that because, she's awesome and great. You had a great interview to her, so I think that was great that you had her on. So,
1: Yeah, she's a superstar. I just bought her stuff as well and went through it, and mm-hmm. it is very thorough. To the nine, everything. Yeah. You, you can tell it's years or decades of experience all poured into her program.
0: Yeah, and what's cool, too, she was really a competitive scratch bowler like myself. And so mm. you wouldn't know that thinking how well she understands like the entertainment side of our industry. Right. I think that she's not from our industry as a traditionalist initially. Right. You know, she's another one that's kind of adopted with the change in times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. Very key. She's, I know she's doing EOS now too implementation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, I I would love to uh, talk to her about that or have an episode because so many centers could benefit from having that operating system of how to run the company because a a lot of them are small proprietors and they don't have the resources for a a huge management team, but having a good system in place really helps you to get, out of the business or working on the business rather than in it all the time. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So tell me, let's talk a little bit, maybe some about the strategies you're implementing today. What can proprietors take away or what are some key tips you have for customer acquisition or some of the stuff you're working on?
0: Yeah. And to kind of go back a little bit on the USBC stuff, I learned a lot there. One thing, BPA itself really does have a lot of good ideas and business development tools, but a lot of them are dated, right? And so very similar to when i was speaking back in 2000 about websites i think today fast forward i think most proprietors have a website we could debate if it's if they're optimized and they're best but i think they sure. as a whole understand it now it's paid ads, Facebook, it's no longer, it's no longer just post and people will see it. Right. And so I think, and you know, I think people are like, Facebook doesn't work. So they have to understanding that what is it like less than five or 6% of your stuff that you just post even two. shows to your you know, two. So it even continues to shrink, right? So much noise out there. And so really understand the paid ads, that Instagram, Facebook, TikTok is showing some traction for the right demographics. And so yeah. things like that. And then I think that proprietors in general seem to get a pretty steady flow of leads from if you ran ads. What I see on the back end is there's a lot of missed and lost opportunity, whether that means that calls are going to the front counter and they're just not getting answered or or not getting or picked up or not getting follow-up. And being like a digital marketer myself, kind of think you're the same way, right? That there's a lot of automation that you can leverage in an industry that, our industry just has not really gotten wind to yet. And I think right. as we see where it's going to grow, it may take the early adopters to kind of get in, but you know, there's no reason with technology that exists today that you, that a proprietor couldn't streamline operations and kind of kind of close those leaks in their bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and think-
1: it's a shame because it's really throwing out money essentially because you're spending money on marketing and you have these leads come in. And if you don't call them or you don't follow up with them or call them a couple of times, you're really yep. just putting money down the drain. Exactly. You know, the, the average center... Calls their leads maybe once, and if they don't answer, they don't follow up again. But studies show that six times is the optimal to reach yeah. out; is you get a ninety percent contact rate. And then the speed is another one because it, it the studies show that you have a you it, it drops off a ninety percent contact rate after like five or ten minutes. So if you can call them within five minutes, you have a 10 times as high likelihood of connecting with them and closing that deal.
0: Sure, I agree with that 100%. Especially here, like in the Dallas market, let's say that you're like a birthday mom and your kid wants to have a party like an arcade or a bowling center. And so you may get on Google or you may go to website. And here, there's probably half a dozen competitors yeah. with that a family would have within 20 minutes. And if you yeah. if you miss that chance and the seed is planted, I mean, it's pretty much a lost thing. Maybe you'll get them the next year, but it's kind of heartbreaking. But to me yeah. also, one thing I'm seeing it's interesting times right now because you're hearing people talk about like recessions coming recessions coming you know we came we've all survived through covid somehow and rebound was just awesome right but if you think about it it's really been since 2008 or 9 in our economy that there really was any kind of slowdown right and so i think a lot of proprietors like when the wind is behind your back you can't help but have strong sales rights. I don't know a right. provider in the industry that was not up from the post COVID rebound, right? Everybody was mm-hmm. killing it. And so the question is was that just a matter of luck and the industry and the consumer? And so, like, mm-hmm. what happens when consumer spending does slow down and that people are kind of watching their thing? And all of a sudden, you've got to work a little harder to get those yeah. dollars. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm thinking forward looking. Like our industry, do they have plans in place? Because like they say in the Bible, like you better put some what does it say about put stuff aside for the for the feast yeah. and famine, right? Dig it well, right. That it could be a little challenging environment. And the ones that have good practices, good tactics, mm-hmm. good lead generation, good follow through, they're gonna be fine. But the guys that just rely on people walking in the doors or they think that an organic mm-hmm. post magically brought people in. I think right. those are the guys that got to make sure their game gets sharp because I think right. we're going to come into some challenging times here soon.
1: Yeah. If you live by the economic tide, then you die by the economic tide, right? I mean, I saw the dot-com era, right? When
0: everything was dot-com, right. everybody was everybody. And then all of a sudden it mm-hmm. busted and it's like, who was le- who was yeah. left to stand after that? So. People
1: with legitimate businesses are the ones who mm-hmm. stood yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's not like a crazy amount of stuff to do. It's really f- fundamentals type of stuff. Having a database in place, having a few of those automations you talked about. It's not like some crazy, you got to hire a developer to, to come up with this stuff. It's pretty fundamental. It's just like, like anything like good customer service or good experience. It's just the fundamentals over and over again.
0: Yeah. No, I agree a hundred percent. And it's interesting mm-hmm. too, right? We've got the like the robots in the workforce now coming in. I think both Brunson and Cubica and both have the kiosks out. And I think the my generation is even adopting to using of touch kiosks and things like that, right? I mean, certainly the younger generations already are embracing it and everything. But yeah. to, to me, it's going to be interesting to see like how that evolves. To me, customer service means know my name, thank me, make sure service is like following the steps of service. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of the, like the self-service generation that orders an, a Starbucks coffee on an app, and wants to walk inside and have it right there with their name on the thing and be out, honestly, mm-hmm. sometimes without without talking to anybody. Yeah. And yeah. so it's kind of interesting to see how that's going to evolve, right? That uh, maybe there'll be a time where there's not even a front counter where you just basically, and that's defined as good service, That's which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you see the web reservations taking off for the yeah. centers that can handle it or work that into their operations. And especially with the younger generation, it's heavily preferred. They don't want to call in. They don't want to talk to people. They want to book it online have their shoes ready on the counter when they walk in and get to it. Yes.
0: Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And who would have thought, I mean, if we were talking a couple of years ago, would you think that so many proprietors would be having, you know, like web reservation systems built into their websites? I mean, you know, so we're catching up, right? We're catching up. I'm curious to see mm-hmm. what kind of cool tools are going to be at Expo this year to see if there's any new latest and greatest technology that's coming into our industry.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to say I've definitely seen a, a big speed up in maybe the last 18 months or so out of the two or three years that I've been in the space I've seen a big more a, a much greater adoption of technology a lot quicker than maybe even like I said 18 24 months ago.
0: Yeah, and I think that makes sense too because there's a lot of the second and third generation proprietors kind of getting okay. taking over dad's business and the boomers my age are all kind of still starting to mail it in and retire. I'm not retiring yeah. but I'm saying a lot of those, the guys are like ready to pass it on and the ones that come in that the next generation really grew up with phones in their hands and tech mm-hmm. technology and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, tell me, I want to know a little bit, we touched on it briefly, maybe some of the follow-ups and like lead management. What are some of the stuff that you're putting into practice for your clients or some of the stuff you'd recommend? Do you have a little more maybe specific takeaways that proprietors yeah, can, can, could use in their sure. own service?
0: Yeah, I can show you just a couple of things, right? And one, I'm going to give credit to actually to Beth Stanley because she was one, the first one to kind of really expose me to this idea. Thanks, Beth. And I'll at least give credit where credit's due. And for example, like here we are in summer, and so it would have been a great time to get daycares right. It probably should have started back in like maybe April to kind of get ready for now. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's overwhelming on how you would actually get daycares in the door. And so you could do old fashioned methods like go visit them, cold call them, stuff like that. But if you have a meeting room, like my center had a nice little banquet room that we had, we would actually send out invitations to the local daycare daycare center operators saying, hey, come be our guest for kind of like a lunch and learn event. No sales pressure, just a very brief presentation. They would talk about our daycare packages and, and how to book them and things like that. Our sales director would basically lead it. We'd feed them with like soup and sandwich. And at the end of the event, basically let them sample bowling for about an hour. And then at that event, offer them pretty much our daycare booking flyers along with a promotion to where maybe book three, get one free or something like that. But probably what I've done now with people who have the game cards systems, intercard or any of those where you can preload the cards. If you've had a center and when a hundred kids come pouring in at once and the operator's trying to keep them in line, most of those kids will have like Video game money, and if it's cash mm. and you have a teller machine, it's backed up. If you do tokens, it can be just total chaos. Right. So what we did was offer daycare centers the chance to basically pre-buy ten-dollar game cards for five dollars. Yeah, and it did two yeah. things. Two things: one, it certainly avoided the line at the front counter, or which made it easier to operate and better guest experience. But two, mm. we encouraged daycare centers to sell those for ten bucks.
1: Oh, so all okay. of a sudden, yeah.
0: all of a sudden they're actually getting paid to bring the kids to our center. So they could do a parent send 10 bucks. If your kid wants an arcade card, 10 bucks, maybe we charge five or six for the daycare visit. They're basically getting free trips. And so that yeah. seemed to work very well. And, uh, that's, and that's part of your
1: presentation when you have them in the room.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Explain how the okay. game cards work and things like that. And if you did it with tokens, you could do it. If you have a rev share with a vendor, you may have to work out the details. Sure. If you're doing it with quarters, you probably couldn't do it. But any kind of game cards or tokens. And I think in the same sense, we've done a similar type of lunch and learns bringing in like HR directors from local companies, having five minutes to talk about maybe how a way to team build through bowling can be a good way to boost morale oh, without yeah. spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It really does is it allows you to leverage the time of your sales director because you'll make 50 cold calls yeah. and follow-up takes a lot of time, right? If you want, not saying you shouldn't follow up with email or cold or, or return calls or maybe some sure. paid ads, but I like the idea of driving them all to an event, uh, right. educating them slightly presenting them with an offer that way. And at scale, because you can get 20, 30, 40 people in a room at one time,
1: Yeah, you're going to get- You can say how many you get, 20,
0: 20 to 40? It depends on the market, right? So like in a big yeah. market, you can get easily that some small towns, if you're rural and you have eight or 10 lanes, you're probably going to have to cap out it. You can get 10 companies in for that right. and book book two or three, that's still a win.
1: Yeah. Yeah, still. And if your average ticket is 500 to 1,000 yeah, or 1,500, that's exactly. a pretty good day.
0: I think that's what's interesting, too, because our industry, we've got sole proprietors that run running eight laners kind of in the middle of the. And I, we had a center in the North Dakota when I was working at USBC, right? And uh, we flew out there to try to help them do their youth league. We didn't know any better. We'd never been to North Dakota. I'd never been to North Dakota. So I actually sent one of my cohorts because I didn't want to go there. We went. He went in the middle of November. And it was like like well below zero. Yeah. I think the town was something like 8,000 people, right? But using our paid ads, driving people to like a registration page for kind of like a free open house event, still brought in, I think, close to 200 families for the event.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. And floored like 20-something kids into a new league. And I think that's a win because I was honestly doubting. That would work in their market because it was too small. But I think the ability with Facebook to really narrow in on your target true, yeah. And the advertising costs are cheaper. But I mean, even that to me, I was like, man, this stuff actually works. <laughs> you know, yeah. it actually works in a small market like that. You know, I don't, and we, it
1: almost works better. So we have we have some clients. We have one client who is in a town of 800 people, and wow. he's seen 35 percent increase in his food and beverage. Nice. And I find that it's almost easier in, in the small markets because it's less competition. So there's not a lot of businesses out there that are advertising there or doing it right. So Mm -hmm. you can stand out so much further just by doing some of the basics. Uh, I I thought it almost works better with the smaller markets, the smaller centers.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think the guys guys and gals who come to Bowl Expo and sit in on the learning seminars and kind of pick up real world knowledge and actually go apply it in those markets, like you're saying, where people aren't applying it yet. Yeah, and there's minimal it. competition to crush it. I mm-hmm. mean, they'd absolutely crush it. You know, yeah.
1: It's a it? big fish, small pond kind of thing. Exactly.
0: Exact, exact. And so I think that's one of the ones we've done. But my center, I've, I'm i a big believer in flooring like novelty leagues, like cruise leagues. At my center was in Dallas. So we did like a Dallas Cowboys league where like, the winning team got like four 50-yard 50, 50 line tickets and a limo ride. Wow. But everybody in the league got some, got some tickets where there was nosebleeds and things. And yeah, you know, if, if you that's can cool. capture... And I encourage centers, we run ads like that for them, where you determine like what kind of market you want to go after. If it was families, you can do things like, like a Build-A-Bear party type league, where all the kids yeah. at the end of the thing go to Build-A-Bear and pick out their bear. Just pick a promotion on one side that matches who you're trying to pair it with. Yeah. And put them in for an eight-week program, and they have that thing to look forward to the end. And then you've got really the eight, eight to 12 weeks of league bowling. It's not your tradition. It's getting harder and harder to get those 36-weekers. Yeah. It's a tough sell to new people. But those novelty programs seem to work well for me when we roll mm-hmm. those out.
1: Yeah, just like a shorter, social, non-sanctioned kind of league.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, we yep. see those working really well, especially if you can get it more towards the food and beverage component. Mm-hmm. You have that at your center. So we at one of our centers, we that's the top, the biggest league by far. It's waiting list is this Social Average shows League. Nice. Um, so Very those nice. really seem to be popular.
0: Yeah I think that's good. One thing I realized as well coming from the USBC was that we have a tendency in our industry mostly the traditional guys right we think of league bowlers as people who want competitive play and there's mm-hmm. a and it's a small piece it is a piece and it's a small piece and in my mm-hmm. center we did have a couple of the, the highest caliber junior leagues as well as high caliber men's leagues but there were our people that want to that are willing to bowl 16 weeks, 32 weeks, year round that really are coming for the camaraderie, the social aspect, the food and beverage. And just because they don't want to aspire to be a professional or Mm -hmm. they don't average 200 doesn't mean that they're not, if you can plant the seed in them, they are still willing to stay around a long time year after year. Probably our biggest longstanding league was a Chamber of Commerce League that was made up of just local dentists and chiropractors Mm -hmm. and, and oil change places that had their own like retro bowling shirts and things. Mm-hmm. They ate a bunch, drank a bunch, had a great time. Yeah. They wanted the music on. And I think for a lot of the old schoolers, it's kind of hard to grasp sometimes that Hey, people may just want to partake in your center week after week. And maybe they don't care so much about lane conditions. And not that you should neglect that, but uh, sure. just to kind of be open-minded about that type of stuff. So I'm saying like,
1: yeah, I mean, what's the statistic? I think it's 67 or maybe 70 million people bowl a year. It's the most accessible sport in, in the country. So there's a lot of people out there who are just happy to do it for fun and yeah. not necessarily at a, from a competitive standpoint.
0: Yeah. and I mean it's supposed to be fun, right? I mean, if yeah. you're not having a, if you're not having a good time at I mean, like who, who's going to I mean, there may be a rare person that says I'm going to go with the goal of having a miserable time for 36 yeah. weeks and then <laughs> right. complain about it and then sign up for summer and have a miserable time for 12 weeks sure. and, then, and then hey, when do we start? Like, I mean, yeah. I know some people that, that kind of fall in that trap sometimes, but I think mm-hmm. ideally we hope they're having getting some value out of spending their money at our center and coming week after week. And yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's really what they're buying, right? You don't leave with anything you got except for the memory and the experience. So I mean, that's really what you're selling as a center.
0: Yeah. But I have a a question. I usually ask some of my prospective clients and it was something I stood by in my center too, was I kind of asked them, Hey, so like what kind of guarantee do you have? Right. And mostly talking about like league play, for example. And so it's like they can give two weeks notice and drop the league. And I was like, would you feel confident enough in your product? that you can actually offer a money-back guarantee, no strings attached to any league bowler, right? A newbie, an experienced person, whatever, right? And I, and I think that's a good question because oftentimes it seems like we're trying to plug a hole, meaning, hey, I need two teams on Wednesday night to fill this out. Mm-hmm. But we kind of know that if they're newish or they're looking for social and we put them in the wrong league, it's not really serving anybody because they're not going to be as happy. Some of the more diehards get frustrated because they don't know lane courtesy and things like that. And it ends up kind of being like a toxic thing. Right. So like in my center, I always had a, a money back guarantee, like the first four weeks of bowling, uh, any reason, whatever, just bring it yeah. to our tent. Bring it to our attention. If you're not happy, let's let us try to address it. If not, all your money back, all your prize fund. Because yeah. we don't want to have we don't want to have like sour people because that's that's negative that's negative negative word of mouth and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and it keeps you honest. Keeps you, you honest know? too, right? Keeps and, you guys and you, on your toes.
0: And you should look at yourself because if your regular bowlers are telling you, "Man, I can't stand bowling here because the shots inconsistent. I can't stand bowling here because your lanes break down." If you hear it enough and they're still there, it's a great chance to fix it. But it's not they're not going to stay forever, even if there's mm-hmm. even if there's minimal competition. And so I'd love to tell the story. We had our center about 10 years and we had that guarantee in the whole 10 years. One person had reached the point of where he was ready. Ironically, he was bowling six, I think five or six leagues in my center. And right. So he was probably one of our best customers. And the funny thing was a lot of the things that he would bring up actually that frustrated him really were true. And he was there because he saw it and he was there. Right. But
1: if he's in six leagues,
0: but when we got to the point of where we realized, hey, there's no way he's going to be happy because you can't have the lowest prices and the best service you can't have you just there's certain things you just you can try your best but you just can't achieve certain things right
1: it's pick two out of three you get quality speed and service and
0: service right exactly it's pretty much my manager said hey i mean i love him but i can't deal with him so i talked to him i said man look i honestly really do value your input because you know you're here a lot and you see things even when i'm not here you see stuff right but you know there's no holy grail place that can do this, all this 100% of every time. I don't want you to be frustrated. I love you as a customer, but, you know, I'm perfectly happy to give your money back because it's kind of starting to get out, right? And it's starting to affect others and stuff like that and, and morale and things. And yeah. we had addressed stuff that needed addressing. And so we basically, I basically had a checkbook and I was ready and he basically refused to take the check. And And he said, no, man. And all all of a sudden he loved it. I love it here, man. I apologize. I get frustrated sometimes, Mm -hmm. but maybe I should practice more. And so it's kind of funny to to kind of confront stuff professionally, but if you need to, you should never want to have to hold a customer hostage.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's a great lesson in service too. Sometimes you just need to acknowledge the people and make them feel heard that you understand their frustrations. And sometimes that's enough just to, they're good. That's all they wanted.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Very cool. Any other tips that you're seeing for centers or maybe a, a one or two takeaways that proprietors can put into their center?
0: So I think on two sides, right? On, on the one side, you have the more traditionalists, right? And who are getting into your mom and pops who are going to Expo and they're adding arcades or adding axe throwing things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So on that end, I would say I always encourage people to get up to speed on marketing, and service because you, when you're a mom and pop that offers just bowling and you know, everybody's name it's pretty simple on the flip side. I'm starting to get clients who are FEC only that are not necessarily from the bowling industry. Maybe they have eight lanes as part of a big complex. Yeah. And they're starting to see some slowdowns in numbers on walk-ins because the discretionary spending is going down. And so I'm getting a fielding, a lot of calls on, Hey, I have an FEC. We've never done this league thing. We're not really trying to get high caliber bowlers, but can you help us basically put things in motion that can bring us people who will sign up for you know eight yeah. weeks, 12 week programs like that? And so I mean, mm. I, I think that on both sides, we're getting proprietors who want to know how to better market FECs and FECs realizing maybe we should look at league bowling as recurring revenue and right. not so much competition. And they want to kind of learn from someone who's been around the industry.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So almost so. I always look at that whole thing as like a big spectrum, right? So you yeah. got traditional on one side, you got FEC on the other side. It sounds like people are kind of moving back and forth across the spectrum now. Because yeah, of I, the think, I think
0: so. I think so too. Mm-hmm. I mean, thinking about even like, like I know Brunswick put in some like duck pin lanes in a pretty fancy hotel in detroit okay yeah You're right and they yanked out whatever the bar it was in the bar and so it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to see how bowling is being pollinated across like so many residential installations i know it was, yeah. it's been the big thing it's pretty cool and to see movie
1: theaters movie it's, theater movie theaters huge big one
0: big one exactly and i guess mm-hmm. they're stuck because people aren't going to the movies because there's netflix yeah. it's pretty hard yeah. to you can only be hostage
1: to hollywood yeah that's you true know, too. whatever they don't put out a lot of movies then that means just, you don't have any inventory
0: yeah. And I know you can only play wee bowling so much right before you want to, yeah, get into to do the right. real thing. The real thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So that's a little bit about what's working today. I know we're coming up to our time here at the top of the hour, but where do you th- see things going maybe the next 12, 18 months for the industry?
0: As much as I really don't want to probably say this, I think it's going to be a little bit of a downturn. And so I think the return to a stronger focus on the recurring revenue that league offers is going to be good. I think, I think we'll see that when expo comes up that in the, if you know the history of bowling, like in the seventies and eighties, so many centers like wall to wall, two shifts of bowling, because that was what it was at the same time. They alienated a lot of people who walked in and got turned away because they were full and people Mm -hmm. got trained not to come bowling. Now the people who enjoy just coming for fun, may have to scale back a little bit and getting more visits and more value out of who comes into your center is going to be key. And I think we'll see that bundling become, because I hate discounting. Discounting I think kills the industry, but I think we'll see bundling to get people to stay longer and do more. And I think we'll see the return to league play, but I still think it's going to be more in a social format, more than it is a competitive format. But Okay. uh, and I think it's good. I mean, it's uh, what I like about that is if, if we're running ads or you're running them or we are, you can spend more to yeah. get somebody to convert if you think they're going to be 12 to 16 weeks customer right. at 20, 20, 30 bucks a week. Yeah, than exactly. You probably could. Than you could to get the public to come in and spend 20 bucks a head for open bowling. So I think you're going to see that. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if your LTV is going to be four or 500 bucks with food over a 16-week period, then you can easily spend 40, 50 bucks per person on marketing. That's yep. a good deal.
0: And, and that was a conversation I would have at, at USBC was that proprietors were like, why do I want to go after youth bowling when they're basically willing to pay five, six, seven bucks a week for their child? And then we get, really got to draw, connect the dots between a child at six, if they stick with it, could be your customer at 56. Right. And what could you make? And so if you spend a little more on the front end to kind of get those people in the door, you just got to keep them and, and provide stuff that kind of helps them get to the next levels. Yeah,
1: I think that's a concept that sometimes gets lost because it's really difficult to track. Like if you ask an average proprietor how much is a customer worth to you, it's so variable. If one person might be worth 10 bucks for their lifetime. Another one might be 50,000. I know there's customers out there who spend $20,000 a year at a center. You know, and, and then multiply that over a number of years. But Really thinking of it from that perspective of what's the average of how much someone spends here, how often they come in and how many years they stick around really helps to put it in perspective of what you're willing to spend to acquire a client and how much each of them are worth you because you you keep that six-year-old, they stay around for 50 years, they're spending a certain amount each year, you got birthday parties thrown in there, they bring in other friends, one customer all of a sudden could be worth thousands when you're really, you're only looking at them at a single transaction point, like the six or $7 that you're talking about. But it adds up.
0: Big time, right? And and I think that's how you build any business, right? Is you acquire new customers, keep them happy, try to get them Mm -hmm. back more often, and then business will take care of itself. It just stinks when you get them in, lose them quickly, and then you got to go find two more to replace them. That's all right. I think that's a challenge to any business. And I think that retention, we could have a whole show on just retention and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: right. Keeping around, having, having a good experience when they get there. Yep. Cool. Where can people find you, Chuck, Is if they want to reach out maybe about your consulting or get some help from you? What's the best place to reach out or find you?
0: And so probably the best way right now would be, I'm actually on LinkedIn. It's just Chuck Landy. I'm pretty easy to find. I think mm-hmm. you and I became friends via Facebook. So I'm a pretty public yeah. guy on Facebook and I've got the people I can stay in touch with. Those are probably the two best ways. I'm actually in the process of rolling out, probably a little bit after Bowl Expo, just a little fun, lighthearted blog called Rethink Bowling, which is really more I've see things in the industry that I've been around. And when you're working for USBC or if you're working for Brunswick or Kubica, things like that, you really need to make sure you toe the line and you sometimes see things, but you can't speak to them. Right. And so re- Rethink Bowling, I think is a good way to kind of talk about like what's working in our industry, what's what's not working, what the opportunities are. And so if for in 2023 2024, that'll be a good place to kind of follow and kind of see what, what kind of stuff mm-hmm. I'm thinking about. That's, any of those would work.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I can attest, I've seen some of your posts and your content. It's really high value stuff. Very insightful. Like you, know, you can see you, your stuff.
0: I appreciate that, man. I mm-hmm. it's, uh, that's what it comes to being an old timer, I guess. I don't know, but I appreciate, <laughs> that. I, I appreciate that, man. No, yeah, it's
1: good. I always, and even your comments and stuff on the groups I have a lot of insight into them. I always Thank appreciate you. your stuff. Thank and, you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks again so much for coming on, Chuck. This has been a blast. We'll have to do it again. Are you going to be at the expo?
0: I'm trying to move my schedule around where I can be. Right, I certainly hope to be because I already have my reservations. It's a, I always enjoy seeing new stuff and seeing good friends. So I hope. I'm, okay. I'm assuming you're going to be there. I think you have a booth, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. I'll be awesome. there. And this is going to well, come out right before it, so people can oh, come. Wow. check You, you got to be there so people can come talk to you.
0: Cool. I mm-hmm. I hope to see you there. If if not, I look forward to getting a recap from you. But that, my plan is to mm-hmm. be there, and see some old friends and everything.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Look forward to it.
0: Cool, man. All right. Thanks thanks, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man. You got a great show. I think you're doing great things, kind of getting the word out and helping make everybody a better operator. So I appreciate you guys on your side too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. It comes back to guys like you with the experience to share. I'm just here as the interrogator. It goes both ways. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks, Chuck. Have, Have a good one, man.